uncomfortable podcast here we will discuss all the things that make us uncomfortable i'm your co-host Alura, and i'm your co-host jade today we're going to be talking about the podcast itself so it's conception it's execution and where we're going in the future so let's get started Alura. all right um before we get started though like <laughs> Let's put out a disclaimer. Uh, This podcast is meant to be lighthearted, funny, in a place (laughs) of comfort, in the midst of all the uncomfortableness in the world. We are not experts in any way, any shape, or any form. No. And all opinions, thoughts, and sentiments shared are our own. Um, We mean no offense to anyone. Um, And this podcast is a space to share a laugh and connect. So let's actually get started. Um, we thought we should start with our origin story of the podcast. And that's kind of like our theme for today is origin stories. Yeah. So we're just casting ourselves as superheroes, assuming yes. that everyone listening, all two of you want <laughs> to know how this came to be. <laughs> and it's going to become your Bible of sorts. You know, I think so. It's a creation story. <laughs> So I was actually looking at the document because I was just like, when did we actually like come up with this idea? And it was in February of this year. Yeah. And it's October now. It's October now. We were actually supposed to start filming in March, but then I like ruined everything. And Mm. as you (laughs) always Literally. Um, Getting an education. It's so distracting. Got a new job. Like the week we were supposed to start filming. And I was like, let's just table this. Shelf this for a later time. Stereotype. Like all successful and hardworking. Makes me sick. So now we're here finally doing (laughs) what matters. And we're just, you know, throwing jobs, education to the wind. Because Mm -hmm. what the people need is for us to talk shit. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) That's what makes the world go round. Um, So our origin story, how it came to be. (laughs) So we came into work one day, all days, you know, I think it was probably like a Tuesday. We were recounting our weekends, you know, and that's just the best time for me because I just am always just obsessed with Jade so much and I want to know exactly what's going on in her life, all her emotions, thoughts, and feelings um, when I didn't see her. Too many details. (laughs) (laughs) And I know she already has video footage and pictures of my I do. It's like pretend. 100%. Um, Yeah. So, but like we were surrounded by like so many people but we were just like saying super like uncomfortable traumatic things to each other just in broad daylight and in public and I forgot who said it but someone was like oh we'll just save that for the podcast or like we'll just you know <laughs> say that when we have the podcast and like we this had like never come up prior but then like that thought just continued to populate our mind and our brain space the whole day so then we kept on coming up with more ideas and like segments and all kinds of things and so by the end of that like week I like just sent Jade a google doc and then the next time I saw I saw like she added it at like two in the morning Once you share something with me or Alura, it's going to be populated with 10,000 ridiculous things showing Literally, a true but- manifestation of anxiety. So much anxiety. And so then I just like looked and I was like, Jade, we have like an actual podcast idea. Like this is mm-hmm. so in depth. Like I had merch ideas. I like <laughs> asked her, I was like, Jade, we have to start thinking about merchandise. Mind oh, you, yeah. this wasn't even a... <laughs> 
G-strings all day. Literally, she was like, G-strings. And I was like, that's so on brand. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like, condoms, also so on brand. And yeah, yeah, it was just so funny. We had so many topics. Um, And I think that all the people surrounding us, regardless of how, like, <laughs> verifiably uncomfortable they were by listening to us talk. They were right. fueling the fire. Like every yeah. time we were in a Zoom meeting and we were blowing up the chat with our back and forth and our banter, everyone was like, "Oh, you should go on a stand-up comedy tour. You guys are like so fast on the keyboard and just like cracking everyone up, and nobody's paying attention to what's actually happening in the Zoom meeting Not at all." going back and forth and so they were like goading us like yes become a star start a podcast and so naturally our easily malleable minds were like Mm -hmm. oh you said I should do something of course we're workaholics let's do it more yeah Yeah. so So that's fault right never our own um yeah so that's kind of the origin story and how it came to be we just Actually, I think this is more of an excuse to just like hang out with you more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, but now I- we can just share our conversations with other people while yeah. still just hanging out. And yeah, it's great. Like carving out time of our busy schedules to hang out. Yeah. And also, I think, and hopefully people will hear this as we record more and more. But Laura and I have a personality compatibility and an understanding <laughs> of humor that is unparalleled. Like I can't really joke with anyone else in the world the way I do with Allura. So um, literally, this is like time to to giggle. So yeah, I think it's... that. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go because I love you more. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that no. laugh. You gotta have this laugh on recording. <laughs> This is going to go down in, like, Radio Podcast Hall of Fame. Literally. Um, No, I was just going to say, like, I think the first time my mom, like, saw us two together, later she was like, you guys have a really interesting relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, yeah. Interesting. I know you're so jealous of it. Like. Yeah. I think that's uh, what a lot of people say. They're they're just like, hmm, you and Alert are very close (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of concerning (laughs) (laughs) so I think that in order for everyone to get to know this special relationship that we have and why we want to invade the ear holes of Mm -hmm. everybody else with our relationship we kind of have to get to know each other or let people get to know us a little bit more um, so we're going to talk a little bit about who we were as awkward, sad, and angry children. And yes. How that oh my gosh. I got chills. How that made us <laughs> these stunning adults that you just want to listen to and watch all day. Yes. So Allura, would oh, you like to start I, first? What's, I what's thought you were going to go first. Oh, I can. Please go um, first, because I just love listening to you talk. Oh, boy. That's sign one of a mental health issue. So, um, <laughs> I th- well, I'm older, so there's a lot more stories to tell. Exactly. So please ask me questions along the way, because if I get I will. lost into a maze, a labyrinth, if you will, of sad stories, if it's getting too uncomfortable for this makes me uncomfortable, you just I won't stop it. Yeah, I know. You're... <laughs> You love the triggers. <laughs> you can just dig in. I'm obsessed with the triggers. <laughs> so, okay. So a little bit about me. Um, so I grew up in Los Angeles. Like basically, you know, it was one of those places that they attach a lot of words to, uh, to cover up the fact that it's a project. Like it's a slum <laughs> for, you know, recent immigrants. So my mom is from Vietnam and my dad is a very different background. So he's like a Norwegian American surfer boy from Orange County. And um, if people are thinking like, ooh, there's like a sexy war story behind this. And she's like the product of some kind of epic tale happening in the jungle, bombs exploding. You are completely wrong and you should be ashamed of yourself because that's kind of racist. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, my parents just like met in a post office and we're both kind of desperate. A post office, yeah. Oh. My dad worked at the post office, so you know, that's, that's a, a stereotype. 
I know, Norwegian somewhere, right? They love their mail. <laughs> Send it out on a husky. Um, yeah, so so they met and I was a happy little accident. <laughs> and Aren't so, we all? Um, yeah, I know. Who plans for babies? So still. Um, so, yeah, my parents didn't stay together for obvious reasons. This is not like a product of love or anything. This is just like a little desperation and wine. So I grew up with my mom in this housing project, um, like, or like a housing development for low income and recent immigrated families. It's a bunch of bullshit as a project. And uh, pretty much growing up there, I was left to my own devices. You know, I think a lot of us are, especially of my generation growing up in the 80s, the parenting model was, okay, kids got food, like just let them run and hopefully they come back at sundown. (laughs) Um, And my mom was working and she was young, she's still dating and everything. So um, she was busy with her own stuff. And so I was left to my own devices Um, figuring out how to go to school and, um, you know, go out and play without getting shot. Because this project that I grew up in, I don't know if I've told you this, Allura, but there was like shootings on a regular basis. (laughs) There was this couple who lived in front of us who was always fighting and the lady shot him through the hand. Like some old West, like (laughs) high noon stuff, like a bullet hole through his palm. There was like all kinds of gang shootings and we'd have to like stay inside a lot. So I think this is kind of the environment where I fostered a lot of my love for reading. And thank goodness for my dad, because my dad would send me books and on, you know, I would see him for like a day every other weekend, like on a Sunday, and he would always take me to the bookstore. So I had like this stockpile of books, which was a new thing for my mom's family because my grandmother um love her so much one of the smartest women I have ever met in my life but she didn't have a formal education so it's not like my maternal side of the family grew up with books or anything um in fact I used to get in trouble for reading books because it was seen as like a waste of time like okay you're a a woman in this family that you gotta go out and work um so that total immigrant refugee mentality of like hustle 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 So here I am in the projects, like afraid of getting shot outside or getting kidnapped or whatever, um, because everyone wants a cute mixed race child (laughs) to barter with (laughs) on the black market. Um, Yeah, I was just kind of inside with my books a lot. Um, And I think that that is definitely one of the vehicles that brought me to, um, you know, the career that I chose of um, being a teacher and a writer and that offered me a lot of opportunities and luxuries, really privileges that led me to the job where I met Allura. So I think it was kind of um, literature as a saving grace. And I mean, I was no advanced kid. I will never tell you that I'm a smart person, (laughs) but I was reading like Sweet Valley High and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And then eventually (laughs) I got into Dean Coons and Stephen King and then I, I don't think it was um, until I was much, much older and like already had degrees that I found books that were written by someone who looked and sounded somewhat like me. And then once that happened, like everything clicked and I was like, this is a passion. This is important for me to do. Uh, you know, it's my responsibility given the privileged position that I have to give back. And so I, I think that's why I pursued teaching and have stuck with it, even though it's one of the hardest fucking jobs ever because you're giving, giving, giving. Um, But it's very rewarding in the sense that I feel like I could give to those um, the opportunities that I didn't have growing up and that I kind of had to fight and hustle for. Yeah. So um, that's a little bit about my background. I know I didn't really give anything juicy there. Do you have any like inappropriately invasive questions (laughs) or No, I was just going to say that's so wholesome. Um, I know. It came out way more positive than I usually am. It makes me uncomfortable, Jade. Like, I wanted you to, like, trumped up me. It was a reverse psychology. You thought I was going to get, like, into childhood trauma and abuse and stuff. But I went, oh, no. Like, teaching is Like, literature saved me. I was just like, ugh, nauseating. I got to keep you on your toes. But yeah, we well, you got me there. Comfortable and sad if you want. I have plenty of stories. Oh, I can't wait. 
Yeah. I'm so excited for those. Jade's like one of my favorite. No, she is just my favorite person just to listen to. <laughs> like I can honestly listen to her talk all day if I could record her voice and just wake up listening to her. I would. Oh, yeah. So this podcast is just for you, you creep. Quite literally. I am <laughs> psychotic. That's why you're like, no, you start. And bring it heavily into the mic. <laughs> and I am selfishly in it just to hear that laugh. I mean, if you can listen to that laugh and not smile, you know, there's something wrong with you. So, I, well, that's yeah. very nice of you because I have a hard time listening to myself talk. Like, by the end oh, of the same. day, I'm like, for fuck's sake, shut up. <laughs> so the fact that you like it and I admire and respect and love you, that means a lot. Ugh. But this is getting way too positive. Tell me yeah, about I don't like childhood it. and all the worst parts about it. Okay. <laughs> what about your childhood helped bring you to me, Alora? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think everything helped point me to you. Um <laughs> So I grew up in the North County Oceanside Vista area. Um, My mother is Japanese. My father is Chamorro. Um, Super fun stuff. What that means, because some people don't know what Chamorro is. Well, they can Google it. Ooh, (laughs) burn. (laughs) Suck it, listeners. You're here to get an education. Get an education. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Pacific Islander and Japanese. That's my generalization. Um, you know what, Allura? A lot of people think that I'm Japanese because I think they just hear the E's at the end and they're like, oh, you're Japanese. Maybe. Because, you know, I mean, you like, do. Oh, I mean, Asians look like (laughs) (laughs) um but anyway as my mom would say in the asian hierarchy you know the japanese are at the top so we're at the top like hello kitty honda we are pretty iconic aren't we Uh, yeah yeah you guys are at the top and i'm just on the bottom rung scrambling from the jungle trying to get to where you are anyway continue your parents my parents um i not 100 percent sure but i believe my parents met at a liquor store Ooh, hell yeah get a candy yeah. bar very much so um yeah so they met mother had me at like 18 19 father was in his like mid-20s probably super scandalous um <laughs> Yeah, so they also knew they weren't going to be together. That's why I have two last names. And, you know? <laughs> so um, it was a lot of moving around, like a lot of transitioning. Like they had split custody. So like half or every other day I would be at my mom's and the other half um, at my dad's. And I had to, I'm still dealing with this, kind of like code switching. Like, just, like, changing and shifting your behavior based on the environment you're in. And so I had to do a lot of that. And, like, I I remember just, I was a pretty good kid. Like, I didn't really touch anything that I wasn't, that, like, wasn't mine. I even asked, like, asked for water. If I was, like, there's so, like, can I have some water to survive? Thank you so much. Um, I just, like, asked permission for everything. But I remember, like, having major meltdowns, like, maybe once or twice a year, just because I was keeping so much in, and I was a super quiet kid. Like, I was so shy. Like, my cousin had to, like, speak for me at, like, family gatherings or whatever, because I just, like, would hide under a table. (laughs) She would have to, like, translate my needs to everyone. Um, same. I people in my family thought that I had a learning disability or that I was, you know, mentally or cognitively disabled because I was, I think it was a crippling fear yeah. of, you know, 
just parents who are a little volatile and like you said like an unstable living situation and I can get into more of like all the crazy stuff that was happening in my house growing up but I was so afraid that mm-hmm. I wouldn't say anything so people were like oh my god she can't talk she's like a deaf mute or something yeah um, literally so, yeah it, that's, that's one reason like that's one way we're alike in so many ways and gratitude yeah gravitate towards each other and now we're letting it all out all these literally oppressed rage is gonna <laughs> <happen>. <laughs> it's like a wave tsunami just crashing on everyone um no so it's crazy because I was so like I did not talk to anyone and now I like you can't shut me up yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> very very grating and offensive <laughs> Very much so. And so I see like family members now that like haven't seen me in like forever. And they're just like shocked, dumbfounded. They don't know who I am because they're like that. Changed. Like what what was the turning point for you when you started? Um, I think I started coming out of my shell when I started um, dancing in my halal. Mm -hmm. I was maybe seven or eight I think around that time and I was super like self-conscious and shy um but I remember like when we had to start like when our um dance class started we have to do like our halal chant and that always like got me because it was just like me alone Mm -hmm. having to (laughs) say this chant out loud and then finally I think I just did it and everyone was just like shocked. Aww. And then also like dancing at our performances, you know, like that is pretty extreme for someone who's like so shy and like introverted and then having mm-hmm. to like perform in front of like hundreds of people. I think that also helped um break me out, but I think it's just been a gradual thing and now that I'm in I guess adulthood. I still think I'm like 17. Um, a child. <laughs> I I quite literally am. Um yeah, but now that I've just like, you know, have been going break the shackles of like childhood and now I'm kind of like out on my own. Mm-hmm. I think I've been coming into myself a little bit more and now I'm just so loud and so unabashedly me and vocalizing my opinions that it's just shocking to everyone well I love it we're here for it I think all too often especially Asian Americans Pacific Islanders like people in our community we get taught that you know just be silent respect your elders don't make a lot of trouble because Mm -hmm. you are an other in this society but you don't want to be like the focus of attention because we're always being pitted against like a black and brown people too. Like you have to be the good minority and, um, you know, be that model. Yeah. So the fact that people like us, especially as women that we're talking and we're valuing our voices and sharing that, I mean, that's like a big, you know, the personal is political. So this is like a political act. So see, if you think this podcast is stupid, you're wrong. Because this is, (laughs) This is going to end racism. It's going to end it, quite. (laughs) I have a question, Alora, before you get back to your your tale, your Oliver Twist um, autobiography. Um, You said that you had to code switch a lot, which is something Mm -hmm. I totally identify with as well. And I still find myself doing that a lot. Do you feel like you still have to do that now as a grown woman? And can you give like an example of what that means for you? Um, I was actually just thinking about this because also while growing up, like we had, you know, birthday parties and other like big celebrations. And so I remember when I was little, I had a birthday party and all of like my mom's side and my dad's side were coming. And then I think I invited like two or three friends And I was so stressed. Like I like had a mental breakdown because I was like, I'm different people to like every single person in here. Like, how can I successfully like manage and navigate like switching between my three personalities, like, you know, seamlessly. 
I think I was probably in like first grade. Maybe. How old are you then? Like, um, so I was like, yeah, I was around that age and I like, I just was so overwhelmed. And so ever since then, I kind of like kept everything separate. Um, but now like, I haven't tried it. <laughs> honest because I'm still like have so much anxiety about it but I think I want to get to a space where I'm just me at Mm -hmm. work at like home at with friends with colleagues with like anyone I want to get to a space where I'm just the same person and everyone knows me as the same person um so I'm working on it so we'll see I like that (laughs) that's cool though because I think like as multiracial women growing up in divorced households <clears throat> and then just being in our society we ha- we've got to like perform for other people all the time and the onus of responsibility is on us to appease others and make them comfortable which ties into the top you know the focus of our podcast is you know, if we, as who we are, as complete whole individuals makes you uncomfortable, well, that's something that you have to reckon with because maybe you're just imposing expectations on us mm-hmm. because of how we look or who we are. Um, but I think to be your whole self and be that in all these spaces and take up that space and not have to acquiesce and silence yourself, like that is like an ongoing mission and it's hard and I commend you for doing that because I think that's important and you're such a wonderful person I'm getting so uncomfortable with compliments good I'm gonna give you so many compliments to make you uncomfortable love is really a trigger word for me and Alora so much of a trigger word I hate it yeah so that makes us uncomfortable okay so what else happened in your childhood or upbringing that you want to share today um I think what like led me to you is mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's like a good segue into our next thing of how we met but I've always tried to find community in every um space I occupy so like you know me being in a halal growing up that was a really um great experience and great like time for me because I was able to be with like people that were like-minded and that had the same like goals and passions or interests and so like in high school I started um the PI club and then when I went to college like I sought out um spaces that had my community um my PI community and that's how I met Professor Jade Everybody's like, she's a professor? What? She's a professor. <laughs> we do have to say that Allura and I met on a college campus, but mm-hmm. in no way is this podcast oh. or anything we say affiliated with the views, opinions, or missions of the college. No. <laughs> we are completely disowned from the college as we are from our families. So. Very much. <laughs> yes. So we have to say that um, off yes. the bat. But yeah, we met and... I think, you know, that's a crucial difference between Allura and I is that I've always been such a loner, just (laughs) paralyzed (laughs) by the idea and the overwhelming feeling of truth that everybody hates me. So I haven't sought out community just as a way to buffer myself from the pain of rejection. (laughs) So I, you know, I've never really had... um, close friends or community I mean like when you describe halal and I've seen you dance and perform before like it's just it's not just the people you're doing it with but it's like tapping into this ancestral tradition where you're a part of something so much bigger than yourself too and I'm always like moved to tears even though I'm in the audience acting like this doesn't make me feel anything I'm like everybody's here the spirits um but yeah I've always been kind of a lone wolf doing everything um I think in high school you know like I I I was like a punk rocker had like a pink mohawk and I'm obsessed with that stage yes and I dated lots of bad boys with tattoos I love it oh my gosh as every mother's worst nightmare but aside from that kind of sense of community um 
I don't think I've really had that until, you know, I came to the school where I met Allura. And honestly, the Pacific Islander community has embraced me more than any other group that I've ever encountered in my life in terms of being mixed. Like, that's not even a question. Like, they, you know, because everybody's mixed in the Pacific Islander community pretty much. And just, like, this familial sense of, like, we're brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles. And if you hear Allura call me auntie, it's not because I'm her literal auntie and possibly <laughs> thinking I'm bow. But, <laughs> but, like, that's how we met, like, in this familial bond of, like, um, being auntie. So, um so yeah, okay, so to take us back. When I hear it from your perspective, mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll say my, my perspective okay. on how we met. Yeah, and please feel free to stop me and like fill me in, because I was trying to go back over it and remember, I was <laughs> looking at your old work and stuff, I was like, to jog my memory, but I know that there's gaps. You were looking at my old work? I look at it You still have time. it? <laughs> oh we, have, we have everything online. Um. Yes, I creepily peruse your work. Um, I love that. Published writer, anyway, so you can find her work out there. She's a brilliant writer. Um. <clears throat> okay. So about five years ago, I oh had my just, gosh, that's so crazy. I know. Is that wild? Time goes. That is. Fast. It does. Um, so five years ago, I had just had my first biological baby. So I have a a daughter who's technically a stepdaughter, but I call her my own you know and she's older but the first baby that came from my body is about five years ago and I was like hit in the face and the spirit and the soul with really 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 bad like near hospitalization postpartum depression and uh you know I've struggled with mental health issues all my life and it's something that is in my family as well Um, So I wasn't a stranger to those feelings, but it just got so bad after I had the baby that I was really struggling. Um, And two months after I had the baby, I came back to work. Uh, Two months? Yeah. So I had planned to have the baby during the summer so that I wouldn't miss work because I'm a workaholic. Because if I'm not working 80 hours a week, I feel like I'm worthless and no one will ever love me (laughs) and no one is proud of me. We're just scratching the surface of the sickness today, y'all. Just scratching the surface. This is only episode one. (laughs) Yeah. So postpartum depression. Just a light little aperitif. Just a little sprinkle. (laughs) A little amuse bouche. Um, But yeah, it's really bad. And I think it's important to talk about because I think a lot of people um, suffer from it. And especially in our communities, we don't talk about it because it's assumed like, oh, motherhood's hard. Something you're supposed to do especially when you come from a line of people of color who have been oppressed and killed off. I mean, my family's from Vietnam. So we had like 3 million motherfuckers killed off. And so to have a baby is not just like a individual blessing. It's like this act to say, you cannot get rid of us. Like we will have our families. We will love, we will carry on. Our culture does not end with a war, you know? So not to get emotional about that, but I'm like going to get up on a soapbox and be like, Babies are the future. Um, But anyway, um, so there's this expectation, you know, I know it's going to be hard, but I'm just going to do it. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I want to do. I owe it to my child to do anything and everything for her to be healthy and well. And I just found myself like overextended and really struggling with a lot of internal thoughts of like suicide and self-loathing and doubt and just anxiety about, you know, this precious little baby that you love more than anything in the world. And just assuming that I would fuck it up because I've always been taught and told and I've internalized this, this voice of like, you fuck everything up. You're a failure. Like you're the worst. Why are you even doing that? Like I said, amuse-bouche. <laughs> okay, so this that's the stage for me that's coming into a new semester. And uh, so another pressure that I have mm-hmm. of being a new mom is breastfeeding because, you know, like I busted my ass to go to school and like work three jobs for 15 years so that I could live in a neighborhood where people walk their dogs with sweaters <laughs> on and shit. Like I made it. My kids will not grow up in the projects. Like we're in a good neighborhood, but the 
the other side of this neighborhood is that everybody's like busting their titties out everywhere and like breastfeeding a six-year-old and I'm like okay so I had it in my head like oh I gotta breastfeed like this is the natural way in the suburban neighborhood so I was having a really hard time like making milk and I was super stressed about it so when I come back to work Next door to the classroom where we met Allura, there was this tiny little closet with like a beat up old rocking chair. And there was like one picture of a teddy bear on the wall and like a dusty (laughs) fake ficus in the corner. And this was like our breastfeeding room. And it was right next door to an office where there was a bunch of high schoolers that come to our school to like transition. (laughs) What a perfect position to place that. So I'm in there, like, frantically trying to pump milk out of my breast. <laughs> Male listeners right now are like, this is a podcast for me. This is it. Um, but I'm, like, so frantic trying to be like, I'm a terrible mother if I can't do this. And I also have to go to work in 10 minutes. I have to do this really fast. All during that time, echoing over the voices in my head are these voices of high school boys who are like, did you see that ass? You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to play basketball at three o'clock today. And it was so loud. And I was like, what am I doing? So I would come into our class, Laura, so overwhelmed. And I'd just be like, oh my God, did I put my boobs back? Like, is the milk in my little, you know, my little igloo cooler that I'm on? And then I'd be like, okay, let's learn about writing and literature. So I was just so struggling to balance all of these things um, when I came into the semester where I met Allura. And, uh, you know, feeling really insecure about my ability to perform all these roles that were now part of my new identity as a mother. And, you know, being a professor is always like a new role to me. Every The beginning of every semester, I feel like I'm going to barf for like the first six weeks. Because I'm like, why did I choose this job where people are like what looking at my face, you know, <laughs> grotesque mixed race face and listening to this dumb <laughs> voice and what am I going to say? Um, and so I had all of that and then I come into this room <coughs> meeting this new cohort and I see Allura beautiful as the day oh my gosh. Well, which no. is a trigger for me because I grew up around very beautiful women. I hate her. And- <laughs> And I always felt like the mutt in the room. I'm like, how did I, I don't know if you remember one time I did a presentation for our community on the campus and I had pictures of my family and all the guys were like, "Mm, hello, (laughs) (laughs) my sister, my aunt, my mom, my grandma, they were all like, had little pup tents over my family. And so I have constantly gone through life thinking like, oh my God, I'm so ugly. So when I see beautiful women I get super nervous like not in like a sexual way but just like (laughs) her beauty just spotlights the ugliness of myself (laughs) and I'm like great this beautiful bitch is sitting right in the front row to look at her perfectly manicured eyebrows in the front row yes and your eyebrows kind of just you would sit there like you'd get all your stuff organized like paper pencils <laughs> color-coded highlighters and then you would sit like cross your hands and then your eyebrows would slightly lift like a drawbridge to be like what now bitch what can you possibly do um, and i was like oh my god this chick is gonna give me so many problems over the course of the semester because uh and it it and now that I know Allura better, I know uh-huh. like where that over-preparedness, like super professional, like ready to go. It also work- comes from self-hate. <laughs> yeah. So I understand that now. But at the time I was like, this girl is 18 years old and has it way more together than I ever will. Like I will just die shriveling in her shadow. <laughs> That's my degree in creative writing for you. But I honestly, I felt um, intimidated by you. Oh my gosh. And as the semester went on, you know, I'm always like, my teaching is kind of like uh, stand-up comedy, like always trying to do the It's so good. Thank you. (laughs) To make y'all laugh, but also learn and, you know, love each other and all of that business. And I was just like, oh man, Allura just hates me. And I feel like everything that I have her do is so below her. Especially once I started reading your writing, I'm like, wow, 
wow, she's brilliant. Like she's so insightful and so eloquent and I don't really have anything that I could possibly teach her, you know? And so I just felt very futile uh, with Allura in the room. Like, but at the same time on my best days, she was pushing <laughs> better because I knew that Allura would want to be challenged and she wanted, um, you know, uh, also uplift others in the class that were maybe struggling because Allura is definitely that leader. Like it's not just about her doing well. That only happens if everybody else around her is doing well. So it would push me to be a better teacher, but I still felt like it was never enough just because that's how my brain works. I could <laughs> work, and work and work and I I could win awards and I could, you know, get all the accolades and people could give me positive feedback, but my mind is so tweaked (laughs) (laughs) that I think that every compliment is a lie and is like part of some ruse to literally, (laughs) I'm hearing you speak and I'm like, she sits on a throne of lies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, finally, I'm the queen of something. So I always think that positive feedback is a lie. Like, it's just trying to make me feel better. Like, I feel like it's out of pity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes from lots of things from my past. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until someone that we worked with um, took me aside one day and we were just um, chatting about other things, um, you know, happening at the school and how to help students and all that. And, and then her tone kind of changed and she looked at me and she's like, you know, I want to tell you something. And I was like, oh my God, she hates me too. I'm tired. <laughs> my life is over. So I'm like <laughs> catastrophizing like this whole snowball of things that I think is coming. She goes, you know, there's a group of women in your class and I think you know who they are. And they told me that they really love you because of the way that you show them what it could mean to be a woman in this community and the stories that you share about how hard it was growing up and that they feel like they're not alone in it. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> like, here's something that's unsolicited. You know, we weren't talking about it. The people were not there she had like made time and effort to relay this to me. And, you know, one of the women she was talking about was Allura. And I was like, oh my God, all this time I had invested so much like fear and anxiety into thinking that this overprepared bitch hated me. (laughs) (laughs) I say that in the most loving way. I know. I I felt it and I was like, (laughs) melted my heart. Um, but maybe all this time it was kind of a recognition and like a seriousness of that recognition of you know a mutual understanding of we come from hard places we've been through hard things and now we're here for each other and we're in this work together and you know it didn't completely alleviate a lot of my insecurities because I don't think those will ever fully go away I'm accepting that that's a part of who I am and I'm just learning to deal with them better but I think that day was a real watershed moment of, you know, changing the way that I see things um, and definitely how I saw Allura. And I think that Allura, once you weren't a student of mine anymore, <laughs> we were like, game on. It's friendship time. Soulmates for life. And yeah, every time I see Allura, like we laugh so hard and we tell jokes that nobody else is laughing at. They're like side No, no one else finds it funny. Yeah, everybody looks like they're about to make a phone call for us. You know? <laughs> but we definitely get each other. So I think um, I thought that you hated me, but it was love mm-hmm. all along. So, but it really was me and tell me that my whole story was wrong. <laughs> no, it's crazy because I didn't know like 80% of that story, which is so crazy to me. And so it's so inaccurate to my side. Like, I thought she hated me, obviously, because I too have a complex where I think everyone hates me. Um, even if they give me no evidence to the contrary, I just 
that's my first question to anyone is like so they hate me right and they're just <laughs> yeah. like allura <laughs> yeah what <laughs> Yeah. And I've seen people try and console you and reassure you. No, I yeah. actually really like you. And you're like, no, but the more they say that, the more I think they're feeding me lies. Yeah. Same. You know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I was a freshman in college, like in this new program, um, sitting at auntie's class. I like did not know what to expect. I was actually very frightened. I even took like um, the support class. Because I was like, no, I'm going to need all the help I can get. Like, this is college. Like, it's going to be so much, like, rigorous and so more, so much more crazy than high school ever was, you know. And I just, I'm a perfectionist and I need to be doing 130% on my rough days, you know. Like, <laughs> so I had to be uber prepared and... Jade's class ended up being like my favorite (laughs) to this day. She just has this like presence and way about her teaching and just her upfront that it's just, and she just connects things and makes the content like easily to easy to grasp. And it just like sticks with you. And it just like makes something click that it just is like, Oh, Yes, that's what it's supposed to be. That's like what like high school was supposed to teach me, <laughs> you know, like you. all that. And so she's like the most amazing professor ever in this planet. And I stand by that. But what really like got me and what made it my favorite is like all of your stories and just how like vulnerable and personable you were and just... I remember you saying stories about your grandma, about your mother, about just, you know, everything in your past. And I'm like, how is she this open and just this comfortable speaking to strangers about this? And so it really touched me because I never had that before, like not even with my own family members, you know. And so I just loved going to her class. And it was like a two and a half hour, almost three hour class. And it just went by. In minutes, I felt oh, like, and all these, yeah, all the assignments. Like our first assignment was a personal narrative, and I was just like, "You want me to write about myself?" <laughs> Thank you. And I've I've continued to hear over the years people who've read that essay and have been really moved by it and really identified what? with it. Yeah. So okay. you're a star. You're pretty much famous. Thank you. I think you're speaking lies, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> and so when I was in the class, I too thought she hated me. Like, <laughs> I was like, she's my favorite professor, but I feel like she hates me. And then she even like has her like personal phone number in her syllabus. And she's like, text me anytime when you have a question or if it's about life and you just need someone. Um And so I remember even after I was no longer your student, I still had your phone number, but I just like refused to text you because I was like, no, she hates me. (laughs) And anything I send to her, she's going to be like, what does this bitch want? Like, (laughs) (laughs) literally block. And no matter how long she said, she was like, Laura, please text me. Like, send Mm -hmm. me all the memes. Send me all your grievances. I was like, she's lying. Hmm. and I still feel that way I even thought like when I texted you this morning about film day you were gonna be like sorry can't do it like (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) just bail out at the last minute peace (laughs) literally I just always have that fear but Mm -hmm. we have such a strong fun interesting relationship and I love the origin of our story is that we both hated each other thought we hated each other yeah and Still do, <laughs> but we're moving past it. We're healing, growing. Well, I, you know, to turn it into a positive to make us more uncomfortable because we hate toxic positivity. But what I'm so really much so. realizing is that we have those feelings because we are like tough as shit. You know, we built up <laughs> all of these, all of this armor, pretty much to shield ourselves from 
people actually hating us or being mean to us or making us feel bad about who we are. And so we bring that into the world. And when we meet someone that we feel like is a kindred spirit, there's so much more opportunity to be hurt because you actually care about that person. You know, like it would wound me so deeply, like if we weren't friends anymore. So I think that's why we always have that buffer on of preparing ourselves for the worst because sometimes in our lives we have been through the worst. And so we're just, you know, I think that's a strong survival skill that we have, but we just need to learn to put it down when we're with the right people, you know, and I think we're one of our right people in our lives. We're so right people. We were so afraid of the vulnerability we would have with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like memes nonstop. Mostly about Game of Thrones and stuff. Oh my gosh. Don't even get us started. We need to have a segment on that. We do. We do. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that is how we met. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, if you have questions, if we're leaving out obvious Mm -hmm. logistical (laughs) gaps in our story, you can always post and post a question. Yes, call us out. Yeah, well, maybe we'll make videos to answer it or we'll answer on the next episode or we'll do the social media thing. Yes, the social media thing. Laura is excellent (laughs) at making memes. So um, we might answer your question in a meme. Yes. So if you feel so inclined, ask us a question. Ask us questions. Be our friends. Yeah. And we want this to be a community space. We're sharing and we want you to share too. Which kind of right. takes us into what the hell is this podcast going to be, Alora? What can literally expect? <laughs> okay, what can you expect? Um, well, you can expect uncomfortable topics all the time, um, and just uncomfortable content. We're hoping to release episodes twice a month, um, some with us, some with guests. Um, roughly around 45 minutes to an hour, maybe beyond, depending on our feelings, depending on the content (laughs) subject matter and how much ammo we have. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's what the podcast um, logistics are. We're, We're hoping to release it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all the main places. Um, what else? And if you tell all your friends about it and we're getting likes and um, you want to hear more, we're going to have like little special things that you can do where Allura and I drink alcoholic beverages, las bebidas, (laughs) and we fully share uncomfortable things and Allura's Mm -hmm. laugh gets louder and louder. It does. Can you believe that? Yeah. And we have all kinds of special topics and um, little incentives for mm-hmm. you so Ooh, so enticing share yes. around um, i want to get up to let's say a hundred followers starting small by mm-hmm. next month i like it 100 vulnerable minds for us to yes poison. for yes. us to poison mm-hmm. perfect Yeah, and we'll be talking about things that make us uncomfortable every week and our guests, too. I'm really excited. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I had an idea. Okay. So I want to treat every guest that comes on as if we're on a first date, and I want to ask all of the, um, like, hard-hitting questions that we can't normally ask on a first date. You know, like, what's your relationship with your, like, with your mother? Have you ever been to therapy? Like, you know, like, just... (laughs) What What is your most embarrassing bathroom moment? (laughs) Literally, like I want to ask all the hard hitting questions like right off the bat so that they we just get you there and then you stay in that place. You know what I saw? So full disclosure, Mm -hmm. one of my guilty pleasures is that I watch Bachelor in Paradise because love it. Just like a Disney fied version of people who want to go to the beach and fuck each other and spread (laughs) STDs rampantly. Um, you know, there's an STD wherever a churro cart would be at Disneyland. That's what Bachelor in Paradise is. So I was watching that and there's this heinous guy, heinous, heinous, so self-absorbed, which purely stems from insecurity. I don't know what I just said there. Purely (laughs) self-absorbed. 
Surely. I've been sick, y'all. It's been a fever. <laughs> My brain cells have um, dissipated. But so this guy, he just keeps talking about how he like owns a pizza place and he thinks he's real hot shit for that. And he goes on this date with this beautiful girl in a bikini who's like down for sex. And he ruins it <laughs> because he keeps talking about himself. He doesn't ask her a single question. But the one question that he finally pivots to her and asks is, what do you like most about me? <laughs> that is something we have to ask our guests. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Because it's so just offensively it's... megalomaniacal. <laughs> I just, I laughed so hard. I was like, this motherfucker works in a pizza joint. He's like, what do you like most about me? <laughs> So, um, you so know, good. we learn lessons from everywhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. That's perfect. That's, we're doing that. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and we need to say that a lot of our guests are coming from our community, like mm-hmm. people who have known us from where we met. And um, so you're going to hear like lots of Pacific Islander voices, maybe some Asian Americans, you know, our peeps. Our peeps. So it'll be fun. It'll be so fun. We really just want to uplift this community by talking about all our taboo things. Yes. Yeah, we're peeling off the taboo. We're breaking the silences and it's going to be wholly uncomfortable and we're here for it. So uncomfortable. I hope everyone's gagging. Um, (laughs) so, (laughs) So should we end this off with what we'll start our podcast episodes with yeah Mm -hmm. do you want to go first yeah so we're gonna be starting every episode from here on out with a nice little rant or a complaint something that is making us feel like we have an itch that we just can't scratch so something very irritating because Mm -hmm. we have to let all those anxieties go and start with um you know a fresh clean slate every week And then we're going to go into some other questions, Alora. Yes, we'll um, discuss what's made us uncomfortable um, or who did we make uncomfortable. Um, So many choices. So many choices. I feel like I make so many people uncomfortable, especially in the workplace setting. Oh, yeah, you definitely do. I've seen their faces. Very much so. And I just kind of watch it. I'm like, (laughs) because I'm definitely like the loudest Mm -hmm. person, Um, and it's indoors, you know, office spaces. So, yeah. But we can always find you, which is nice. We just listen. I think so. It's like a howler. It is like a right. Mm -hmm. You have always, you know, I always wanted to be like an assassin. Um growing up but I like knew that that couldn't happen because I'm just the loudest person you've ever met in your life you know like Mm -hmm. I would announce it there's nothing stealth about me no that's true but imagine if you could harness your skills so well that you were quiet leading up to it and then the last thing they hear is your laugh and it would be like a calling card like a Batman villain you know that is the best thing I've ever heard in my life it's never too late to fulfill your dreams is what I'm saying. That's very true. I like and- wanted to like be like a foreign ambassador so that I would get diplomatic immunity and then I could run my like assassin business on the side. That was my goal coming out of high school. Well, you still could. You're still very young and you've done all the research. You watch every serial killer show. <laughs> oh my God, Alora. Yes. Have you watched the Hulu special on Army Hammer? No, I haven't yet. Okay, this is one of your assignments. I'm going back to Professor. To watch this so we can talk about it on the podcast because I have never been so shook by like crazy (laughs) incestuous white privilege. Oh, love the incestuous weirdness. I think I texted you about like cannibalizing Instagram models. Oh, I love it. Okay, I'm going to watch it today. It's a lot of fun. Amazing. Okay, so (laughs) we 
branching off on cannibalism, everyone. This concludes our first episode. You can follow us on Instagram or the IG or the gram or the Insta, whatever generation you belong to and whatever mm-hmm. slang you call it. Um, we're at TMMU Podcast. Um, you can also visit our website, subscribe to the podcast, and do all those things. And with that, Allura, our closing words are... Until next time, make good choices.